0: This week on Lead One, Recruit to Win with Bo Gentil.
1: Welcome to the Lead One podcast, where our mission is to lead leaders through leadership. The goal is to get 1% better every day. Let's see what Drew and the guys
0: have to say. All right, guys, welcome back to Lead One. Let's get 1% better today here with the crew. We got Brandon, France, and Sam Buck. Hey. All right, guys. We we got a good one for you today. Uh, We are lucky enough to have Bo Gentile with us here. A little background on Bo. started with the company October of 2000, so going on his 21st year with us. He is a senior vice president of recruiting for all of Globe, Fortune 1000 company, and we're talking about recruiting today, and I think that that's a challenge that Pretty much everyone's dealing with. I mean, wouldn't you guys agree? Uh, Absolutely. 100%. You can't go to lunch, can't go to a business without a we're hiring sign. So it's a challenge that everybody has. And so uh, Bo, welcome. Thanks Thank for you. being with
2: us. Glad to be here.
0: Um, first question we have for you this morning is what role does recruiting play in leadership?
2: I think it plays a, a critical role because depending on who you recruit will dictate your lid on leadership. You know, okay. a lot of a lot of misnomers are that you know if you're a seven, you, you're only going to recruit in fives or sixes. But I believe that based on how you recruit, it will actually raise your lid and make you more capable, and then you become that eight or nine, and you're recruiting in those seven or eights. Um, but I think it's a critical role because if people don't want to follow you, you're just a manager. You're only a leader if people want to follow you, and the only time recruiting is people. So in order for your leadership lid to go up. Recruiting's got to be there because you got to have people to lead. And okay. so I think it's a critical, critical, critical component to a skill to develop in order to be successful in recruiting.
0: Do you think some leaders make a mistake once they get to a certain level that they become disconnected from that process? Maybe they have a staff in a department that's doing some of that day-to-day for them and it pulls them out?
2: hundred percent. They go from being a leader to a, to a logistics manager. In other words, everything just hits a point and like, oh, that goes to this person, that goes to this person, that goes to this person. They become a task manager, which do they actually revert backwards. They go from being a leader to a manager. So you manage data, you lead people. So what ends up happening is they get to a point where they get busy or they have so much stuff they have to manage, they stop leading their people. And that's sometimes when you lose people, because when you get disconnected, remember, I say it all the time that The way you're successful in any business is when you create that emotional loyalty to the people that you've recruited, where they don't want to let you down. Like they walk in the door and their whole mindset is, what am I going to do to make the business better versus what is the business going to do to make me better? And when you get separated from your people, it will immediately flip to what is the business going to do for me? And that's when you're not leading your people, you're more man.
0: Okay. You know, that reminds me of a conversation you and I had yesterday at lunch, um, in regards to a guy that you worked for in the past that retired. Uh, if I remember right, I think he's living about halfway across the country right now. And, And you said that if, if there was a telephone call to come in for an opportunity to work with him again, you'd have a hard time saying no.
2: Correct. And, and, and that's because where I was when he recruited me and where he's taken my career, um, he created that lifelong emotional loyalty. It's kind of like a parent. You don't want to let your dad down. Well, I don't want to let this individual down. This person has never let me down. So there's that. You just don't want to, you don't want to disappoint. Sure. I just got to be honest. And if you're a good leader, your people following you don't want to disappoint you as much as the, and, and not disappointing you, they achieve the results you've tried to lay out for them.
0: So how did he create that with you?
2: Just to, to, be, to really be sincere, he built the wall of trust and he's never knocked it down. We all know this, that the wall of trust is built a block at a time, it comes down a wall at a time. And what Roger did for me, I'm not, I, you know, Roger Smith, who was the CEO of American Income and Liberty, um, changed my life because he would tell me something was possible, but he didn't just say, do this. He, he gave me the map. I believe in life, there's two types of people. You're either a map maker or a map reader. And at that point in time in my life, I was a map reader. I needed someone like Roger to give me the map, to show me where I could get. And sure enough, all the stops along the way that he told me would happen in my career took place. And when you get to that place like a parent, you know, your parents never lied to you. Your parents never manipulated you. Your parents never done things that maybe other people have had in bad employment experiences. That was kind of where Roger was with me. And to this day, it would be a really hard emotional decision for me if he were to call and say, hey... I've got doorknobs for sale where we're at, and I think you would make a killing and you'd be in a better place for your family. It would be hard because everything he's ever said, he's made sure there was a plan and a process and allowed me to execute it to get there.
0: Okay. So a lot of people listening are are maybe in some form of leadership, aspiring to be in some form of leadership, working on building a team. Mm -hmm. What advice do you have for someone who maybe is just getting started in that in in that recruiting process or or building that foundation of a team
2: the the key word you said there was process don't dive into just the result don't don't put a number of I got to get five people have a process and if the process is in place it will deliver five six seven eight people what I find is when you chase numbers or you chase the result they run But when you actually implement and execute a process, you're involved in it, you actually have some determination on if the success can happen. And I would say if you really want to build, start with your, you know, it's the old saying, you've always heard, look at your five friends that are around you. That's who you are. Does that make sense? Like you're no better, you know, that's your circle. Who do you want to surround yourself with? Who do you want to be a part of? Who do you want to be with? And put yourself in that environment where you might be able to recruit without actually Letting those people know you're recruiting them. Does that make sense? Yeah. Personal recruits, bringing people in, law of attraction. You know, it's the old saying, it's hard to sell the dream if you look like you're living a nightmare. Do you present yourself in a manner where others want to follow you? Do people aspire to be in the chair you're in? Do people aspire to be in the place you're in? If no one sees success or what they define as success or no one sees that there's an advantage to going with you, you're going to be alone. You've got to first take care of you. And then make sure you're doing a process to recruit, not chasing the number at the end result of recruiting.
0: So do you have any advice on on how to do that besides wearing a Rolex, driving a Lamborghini?
2: Yeah, I would actually not do any of that um, because um, just to be honest with you, when I see these people on social media that you, you know, that, that it's about the flash. Well, guess what? Flashes go away. I want to see the balance. I want to see work-life balance. So what I'm going to do, for instance, if tomorrow, Drew, you were in my area and I was going to try to recruit you, we're just going to go to dinner. I want to get to know you. I want to know about you. See, that's where I think the biggest disconnect is. We're not finding out about the person. We're finding out maybe what they want. And there's a big difference between what they want and who the person is. And we just aren't spending time and understanding what do they want? Where do they want to go? For some people, it may just be, Drew, can you put me in a place where I don't miss my son's league game? It's not about wearing a Rolex. It's about time with his family. Sure. And when you get out on social media and you look at some of this stuff and everything's about the Folex, the, the Fucci, the Frada, the, the lamborghini <laughs> all this phony bullshit, sorry, all this phony stuff out there, um, they see through it after a period of time because a flash goes away. What's nice. the real substance?
0: When the rent's up on the Lamborghini. You got it. Yeah. Yep. France? Did you feel like he was like talking to your soul there? I I completely understand. (laughs) We've heard you say that a couple uh, times.
1: Coming from uh, you know New York, where it's flash, all all flash, it's all flash. So I do understand that, and especially coming from Wall Street and you know late '90s in the dot com era, where it was all flash all the time. And uh, as you grow and mature, you you, like you said, you realize at that point the flash is is not where it's at. It's you you start to I guess, have more of a foundation, more of a soul, so that then you just turn around, you look at these guys like, yeah, you're a jerk.
2: Well, and I can tell you a story. When I first started AIL, um, I got my very first bonus, and I did exactly what everybody, I ran right out and bought my first Rolex. I did the same thing. And I had buyer's remorse <laughs> like three hours later because I realized I was, it wasn't going to help me recruit anybody. You know, what, no one really asked me what time it is anymore because you got a cell phone with a clock on. It was like you you can get caught up in that, And then when you really break it down, the leaders that actually are successful, and remember, I'm talking about leaders that lead people. It's the relationship. It's the trust. It's the, this person can get me where I want to go because they asked where I wanted to go. See, too many leaders get caught up in telling the team where they want to go the true leader asks his people where do they want to go because it's our job to say yes and get them where they want to be. The success that I've had with Globe is because I have a staff of 11 direct recruits that every day my job is to get them where they want to go. It's not about them getting me where I want to go. And that's the problem with, with, with some people that escalate up is it then turns in about them and they forget that it's really more about the people. If you elevate the 30 agents... Or the five people that work with you, whatever career t- and rising tide raises all ships, and you're a part of that. But if all they hear about is you, you know, people want to people want to know what they're doing to make thing the whole group better, not just you. Gotcha.
0: You know, I th- I think a lot of times the term recruiting has several connotations attached to it. Um, I think a lot of people have the associated with the stigma that, well, recruiting happens when we search for online for resumes. We call them in. It's in a formal interview environment. You're talking about getting to know, truly know people. Um, And let's even say in that interview process. Mm -hmm. um, And that typically doesn't happen when someone is sitting across the desk from you. So I think there's times that it could happen more organically, maybe even more so than people realize. Mm -hmm. And I know you and I were talking about that, that You know, a lot of times at the racetrack, that's happened for you. Can
2: yeah, Uh, again, it's it's first your mindset. Are you as a leader? If you're involved in recruiting, and and when we say recruiting, we're talking about people. No matter what business you're in, if you're open for business, then you're listening to the person and what, where, how their needs, their wants, and in your mind, you're you're yes, you're listening to them about the conversation, but you're trying to see is there a fit. You know, a lot of the people that I deal with here within Wind Globe, we're in the people business. We need people to see our clients and we need clients. We need people. Both sides of that involves people, right? Right. So I'm constantly, I just have a phrase, I'm open for business. Everyone I talk to that isn't already in my business, I'm open to find out how in some way can they become part of my business? Will this be someone that I think is phenomenal at actually joining the team or is this someone that actually has a need? for our products that I can help. Either way, I'm helping both people. Make sense? Right. But it's about them from that standpoint. But I'm listening to, am I open for business? A lot of people think they recruit just eight to five. For me, it's wherever I am. And I'll I'll be honest with you, anywhere you go, but it happens to me a lot at the racetrack. People will come up and I know it's going to happen. It happens all the time. They come up, they see the race car, they see the, the, the truck, they see the trailer, they see what's going on and they drove their car to the track. And so for them, there's a big gap between where they are and where I am. What's the inevitable question? What do you do so I can get from here to here? Right. And when you, and, and all I do is just try to open their mind. I, I then reverse it. Well, what do you do? And when they tell me what they do, you'd be surprised how many people are actually in some type of sales and marketing. You know what I'm saying? I rarely have someone come up to me and say, well, I'm a general contractor. There, there's some type of sales and marketing. It's explaining to them the value of your time. Do you have enough time to make this much? And when I say much sales, or would you rather make these sales and continue to be compensated? I've had people that come up that have been realtors that didn't understand how renewals work. They didn't understand how that process works. And I explained to them, I'm like, I haven't been in the field in eight years, but everything I have here is paid for based on what I did eight years ago. I haven't had to take a dollar out of my budget, my lifestyle since I left the field and my Thirty five hundred trucks covered. My race cars covered. My trailers covered. My sponsors. My suites covered. All by my residual income and renewal. So, a lot of times, it's how do you present, and and that's why it's not flash. Understand at the racetrack. These are, and I'm one of the small guys out there. I I see other people, and I ask them what they do. Right. You know, I keep. What What do you do? Is there something better than what I've done for twenty years? Because your your trucks bigger, your cars faster, and your trailers (laughs) nicer. And we all go through that. But it's, it's that aspiration. Whether we like it or not, people judge your success based on what you have. That's the only thing they, 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 you know, they don't have access into anything else. So when they see what you have, it generates that question. But I think it's you got to be open for business, guys. Anybody that you meet, if you're actually involved in recruiting, is a potential recruit or customer?
0: Well, and I think to, to your point, they – they're judging you on what you have but what I know about racing is it takes a lot of time mm-hmm. I mean we're, we're talking about maybe a what a Thursday night setup Friday qualifying race day Saturday you know it's, mean, it's a it's not just a Saturday Sunday it's no. a four-day weekend so Correct. I think part of it is maybe somebody sees you there and they realize okay not only have you been able to afford the race car the truck to pull it but you're also in a career that allows you the time to be there, which I think is equally, if not more attractive. Well, you know,
2: I, I say this all the time. What's the difference between rich and wealthy? Rich has money. Wealthy has time to spend it. Now, I'm not putting myself in the wealthy category, but what I am trying to say is having been here for 21 years and done what I've done, I've been able to afford myself that opportunity to enjoy how hard I've worked. But I will be the first one to tell you, it's not necessarily hard work. It's necessarily just working smart, not hard, understanding the value of recruiting and understanding what we need to do in order to be successful.
1: So this conversation brings up, uh, an interesting point because last, uh, last episode, we talked about hobbies and, uh, this kind of falls right into that with the hobbies and, and recruiting. Um, I think, uh, we never, you know when you're saying being open for business, you know, you're always in a business mindset versus when you're in your hobby, we tend to, like Sam and I talked about cigars, uh, it's a very seclusion type of thing. Even though you could be in a room with 100 people, you true. know, you, it, you, you find yourself with just kind of just being one with that, in that moment. Right. But listening to you, it's now opening my eyes to say, well, my, in the hobby sense I should also be looking to recruit. If anything, that would be even a better place to recruit.
2: Well, you you already have something in common.
1: Because you already have something in common. You already have something
2: in common, and you have a general place to talk. And it's like on the golf course. If you play golf, every – when I first started in in my career, every weekend I would go play golf as a single because I knew I'd get paired with three people, and that was three people I could find out what they did, where do they work, and and is there an opportunity to recruit. I mean, it – too many people manage the, and what you're saying is exactly right is being open. You would now, how many people could you meet there and talk to and, and, and you have something in common already, right? Right. And so the first time you might just meet him the second time, Hey, meet me here and let's have a cigar. And now it's that conversation. Now that's how it, it, it grows. Some of the best people that you will ever bring into your business will not be one call closes.
1: I feel like for me, um, in a situation where it's the hobby, you know, I find myself looking at everybody as a potential customer versus a potential recruit.
2: Well, and that's why you got to be careful depending on your business. See, I learned lo- early, and, and having entered the company as recruiting, I my 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 business or customer was the bot was the person. Remember, a, a sale is made no matter what we're doing here, right? If I recruit you. That's a sale. If I write you a policy, that's a sale. If I sell you a car, that's a sale. Every one is a buying-selling transaction, correct? The difference was I was just measured by how many people could I attract to the organization. So we're both thinking the same way. Just I'm measured differently than what, how you might be measured, so you started on that process. What I would tell anyone is if you will always be first-minded, what can I do for that individual? Not what would that individual be as a sale? What can I do for that individual, especially in the area of recruiting? It explodes because five individuals you bring in are better than if you have just sold five people. Make sense? And Absolutely. so that was the big thing when I was in the field in Florida was getting my managers to understand five, five potential recruiting interviews is greater than five sales appointments.
0: Well, it's like thinking about it from a residual standpoint, Correct. right? But you know the, who knows what the, those five potential recruits could produce long-term versus the sale that's over today.
2: You got it, and I love to gamble, right? I mean, I, I I do. I love to gamble, and so I looked at every time I talked to someone, they were like a lottery scratch-off. Did I just recruit in the next top producer of the company, or did I just actually go craps, and it, they didn't do any good, but I was going to give everyone the opportunity. That's the part I love about recruiting, and it's the most powerful thing we can do. I can give this opportunity to everyone who wants it and it costs me nothing and it can only benefit them and benefit me if it's the right opportunity for them. And that's what I loved about it is just the ability to present this to anyone at no cost.
1: I guess it brings me to a point where I think we all agree that our world has changed a lot. Mm -hmm. Um, Over the last year and a half, almost two years, we've kind of been put in a situation where, um, We've been forced to change in one way or another. And I think, I think some people struggle and a lot of us struggle with whether we're changing the model that we do things or the methods we do things as it relates to recruiting. Do you feel like they're equally as important or do you feel like, I, you know, you know oh, how do you feel about that? Oh, 100
2: percent. I mean, the whole world changed in March of last year. And. If your organization was not able to, on a dime, switch to some type of virtual or Zoom, I, we all went to Zoom, right? I mean, that's what it is, right? So if you couldn't go virtual and couldn't go to Zoom, um, you, you, you struggled. That's why you saw a lot of restaurants go out of business. That's why you saw a lot of things that required face-to-face struggle during that time. The, the organizations such as ourselves that were able to pivot on a dime and go to virtual, um have lasted. And essential businesses. Yeah. and Well, that's what it created is, is all of Globe's subsidiaries became essential businesses. And what it created was an avenue and it changed our business model from recruiting virtually to presenting to our clients virtually. And even now as it kind of lingers on, um, if you don't adapt, you die. And, and, and we have absolutely done a great job here. With you know, we, when we talk to people, they can either come in, or we can do it this way. When we present, they can either come in, or we'll do it another way. Um, but the industries that I see doing really, really well are making a point of having a work-from-home policy. Guys, the world has changed. You are not—I mean, we have a three hundred thousand square foot building in McKinney that will never be full again. Why? Because we're going to have thirty to fifty percent of our sales force that are going to work from home. Because. We are forced to let them work from home. Why? Because every other employer is going to do the same. So if we're not, and they can, and we're going to have to be flexible like that as well in the field. And from the area of recruiting, it actually, to me, opened a market. You know, I, I, I talk about it all the time, but one of our organizations um, went out and, and actually went on to, you know, Facebook groups. You see the commercial, right? So we were like, let's try it. Facebook groups. And we typed in wheelchair basketball. And... The reason is because typically in our position, we were going into businesses. It was a very difficult, not that we didn't hire um, disabled people, but we didn't have as many as we should, and now we have thousands. Why? Because it's virtual. They can from home. Their comfort level is better. They don't have the taxing of trying to get where they're trying to go point A to point B. So it's expanded our opportunity. See, I think some people at Shrunk, it blew ours up. Think of all the people that traditionally, if they couldn't, come in for an interview face-to-face that we'd ever got in front of. Now, through a virtual work-from-home program, look at how big that market is. It's unlimited. Anyone and everyone could interview that way if we wanted to do it. And that's the mindset of people first. We, we, we need people. You know, I always say it, put pressure on the process, not the people. And if we put the right process in place virtually, the people will come. It's kind of like the old saying, if you build it, they will come. 100%. If we do that, it would be it's a game changer for the agencies that have that in place.
0: So basically, don't be like Blockbuster, right? 100%. <laughs> Got yeah. to be willing to change.
2: Right. Yeah,
0: 100%. So, But when you talk about being open for business, always being open to biz- for business, I think that that's something, especially people in, in our industry, that are in leadership can relate to because it is our business. Mm-hmm. Anyone listening to this, that's starting a starting a business in, in that entrepreneurial uh, mentality, they get that. That also comes um, with a price. And what I mean by that is the, the, your, the people in your life have to be supportive of that. Right. Uh, yeah. Cause there's a sacrifice. So uh, I was blessed and fortunate coming into this business that my now wife, um, she's got to see the back end results of what being in business for yourself can do for you. But a lot of people starting their own company, maybe even coming into our industry, they, they don't have that advantage. Um, So what does a supportive spouse or significant other? It's,
2: it's the, it's the game breaker. I mean, I would ask if, if we sat down with probably a hundred people that, that at some point were to say this wasn't for them, Their number one thing would be my, their number one go-to to to get out is my spouse or this or that. And, um, you've got to have it. Um, I say this when I'm, anytime I'm talking to a potential recruit, um, I always tell them your family has to have your back, not be on your back. And it has to be a long term commitment, not a short term commitment. I couldn't have done this for 21 years if my spouse and family, I mean, this is my seventh week on the road in a row you know, every week. And, and last week I was only home Sunday. So, you know, I, FaceTime helps, Zoom helps, all that stuff helps. But it's more the mental part of I know that I don't have to look over. I'm, I'm not going to catch. There's no issues. Does that make sense? Yeah. I mean, and that's and, and big, man. It's really, really big because, you know, I have the easy job, to be quite honest with you. I'm in a hotel. I get fresh towels every day. I get to eat at every meal. I eat at a restaurant cooked by somebody else. The, my wife's at home with my son. Baseball practice, boxing, hockey, hockey lessons. Take care of the dog. We got a contractor at the house right now doing stuff from storms. I mean, my life's easy on the road. I actually create more of a burden for them, and so them having your back is critical because it can be. It can if you don't have that support at home, it, it can be devastating to to being able to see the end of the road.
0: So regardless of what position you're looking to fill, do you have advice for someone about how they determine whether or not somebody has that buy-in from their spouse before deciding to go to work together?
2: I think that's our responsibility. Um,
0: And, or I guess, how do you do that?
2: Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think that's our responsibility to um, deliver proper expectations. Um, You know, most people, when they're going through the interview process, um, they want no one has a problem doing anything you want them to do. But make sure I know about it ahead of time. Fair enough. Make sure that the expectations are clearly laid out, and that's typically where the disgruntledness would come in. Makes sense. In other words, we didn't explain that they were gonna to have to go to school, or we didn't explain there was gonna be this training, or we didn't explain this was gonna to have to happen. And then it what the spouse relayed to the what the interviewee relayed to the spouse to be able to come on board doesn't translate. And again, I go back to trust. The spouse then doesn't trust us. And if the spouse doesn't trust us, no matter how much that person wants to be here, that spouse carries a lot more leverage than we do. So I think it's all in delivering proper expectations through the recruiting process. I think it's on us delivering on those expectations. Are there always exceptions? Sure. But I think it's the proper delivery of the expectation to the recruit so he can deliver those same expectations to the spouse so everyone's on the same page. And again, get to know the spouse. Get to get to know the people you're bringing on board. Know right. know what's important. Know where they are. Don't don't just know the individual and and like not know everything about them.
0: Well, you I know you've heard the saying that you know people are going to do half of you know half of what you tell them and seventy five percent of what you show them. And I think sometimes that's the breakdown. At least from what I've seen, is you can deliver the best of expectations to the potential hire. And they deliver about half of those to their spouse by the time they get home, right? So,
2: Agreed. The spouse is, especially in a position like ours, there's one thing the spouse looks at. Time away, and the second thing is the check.
0: Well, another
1: thing with that as well is um, it's like when you are in the midst of a sale with someone and he says, well, let me talk to my wife. You know that that person cannot deliver what you just told them to make that sale because this is not their forte. So... I think it goes one it goes hand in hand where if you're investing into that person and getting to know that person you should get to know their you know his his or her wife as well so that way they can have a true understanding because that is where the support's going to come from right so if you're leaving it up to new guy to go home and tell his wife how great this is and how he's going to make a million dollars She's just looking at him with a frown on his face, on her face, because he's never done this before. And all of a sudden, you're going to do it now. And the light bills do. well. And yeah, the light bills yeah, do. Yeah, exactly.
2: <laughs> exactly. And that's why um, they've already proven that they, they've got good communication with their spouse, because you've probably interviewed them a couple of times, and they're back for a final interview, right? All right. The key now is you have to maintain that same level of trust. And that trust is by you delivering proper, here's the outline of what we're going to do. And then executing on it, and along the way engaging with with him and the family, and, and that can be as simple as as just hey man, I'd, I'd lunch, breakfast, whatever it is, it could be anything. But knowing things, and sometimes guys, you build that trust just by knowing. Tell me about your family. They break down, like I said, the little league game, and you know, on Wednesdays, every Wednesday for the next three weeks, there's a little league game at six thirty. Sit them down and figure out a way where you can make it possible for him to go to those games. That's the that can be the whole difference in this person now being your your right hand person for the next ten years or this person leaving because the the wife is upset because Johnny cries every time his dad's not the baseball game. Yeah. It could be that small, an hour. And and that's what I mean by leading and, and, and understanding that. Oh,
0: well, you and I talked yesterday briefly about hard skills versus soft skills. And of course certain industries have to have hard skills or certain requirements or education levels, obviously for us licensing being one of those, you know, if a, a doctor's got to have a medical degree, right? So there's some things that you can't avoid, but which of those things do you, do you look for? Do you put priority on when trying to assess a potential fit with a candidate?
2: If we're, if we're talking in our setting and in what we do here, um, I, I really just look at the hybrid in the middle of their attitude, um, their hard skills um, some will apply some won't it's more soft skills can they carry a conversation are they personable can they build rapport Can they do they do I find them in as an engaging individual? Do they come across as competent when I'm speaking with them from that standpoint but ultimately what I'm really looking at is what is their what is their attitude what is their demeanor you know what is their how do they answer a question are, are, and again this is how I look at it. are there questions? And I pay more attention to their questions. Are their questions more about how big is the opportunity or what happens if it doesn't work? You you follow what I'm saying?
0: Whether it's asked in a positive connotation or negative. So what
2: you're saying, if I do this, this, and this, I can make that? Yes. Or is it, well, what happens if they don't buy immediately? Okay. Okay. So what I've got here is the one day at band camp applicant versus the the guy that really (laughs) wants to make it happen. right? Right. And I pay attention to their questions more. The, the, the hard skills and soft skills have brought them to this point. So either their hard skills have gone away if they had a trade, and their soft skills are what they're trying to implement, or their soft skills went away. I pay more attention to just we've given you some information. You've talked it over with your spouse. You're you're back here again. What are your questions and how do you ask them? That to me is a big big factor. The way someone asks a question, maybe and, and again. They're trying for an interview, so you would hope they would know how to ask the right questions, but some of them just don't. Some of them ask everything as if the sky is falling, and you just are like, oh, my gosh. And then other people come in, and you're like, all right, you know, it's the old saying. I'd rather cage a lion than try to push an elephant. And I I take that demeanor when I'm interviewing someone on that hard and soft skills. What's their attitude? Their attitude tells me, am I hiring what I think could be a lion? Because don't get me wrong, my crystal ball is about as clear as everybody else's, but – I can at least go off what they say. Or is this going to be, oh, my goodness, everything they're asking me is is the sky is falling. All right. Quotables. He yeah. yeah. has more quotables than Drake. Uh,
1: so <laughs> Bo's, Bo's got, he's got those one He's got the quotables. There you go. go.
0: Well, right. Bo, listen, we, we have enjoyed our time with you this week and certainly appreciate all the knowledge that you've shared with us here in the agency the last couple of days. And we wanted to extend some of that to our listeners this morning. So we appreciate you taking the time to do that um and uh good luck on that grudge match
2: this weekend. Yeah, I do. Yeah, if you're out on Facebook and you see my Facebook page Bogen Teal, I got a $1000 grudge match Saturday night.
0: Is it going to be live? Um,
2: uh somebody'll go Facebook live with it. Okay. And there will be okay. plenty of video, but it's uh these two cars are quick, uh the my car and her car, and it's actually a female, which makes it even more taxing on me cuz my ego's like I can't lose. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But uh I'm excited, but again, I just appreciate being here in this agency, working with all of you great leaders, and th- the way you guys are giving back to the community through this podcast is um, something special, and don't take it light, because there's not a lot of people that take time out of their day. I mean, honestly, it's 30-minute podcast. Not really. There's five of us in here. It's actually a two-and-a-half-hour podcast if you look at day and time management, and most businesses won't take two-and-a-half hours out of their day for other people that aren't in their business. So congratulations to all of you for getting this started.
0: Man, I appreciate, appreciate it. it. And if, uh, if someone were looking to maybe get into our industry, where would you send them?
2: Oh, I would just send them. I mean, if they're looking to get into our industry, they can go to globelifecareers.com. Um, but I would actually probably just send them directly, for sure, this agency. Um, but Liberty National's got several websites out there. Um, Facebook page. Read us all about it. Read all about us, excuse me. But more than anything, guys, um, I, I would drive them back to you. You guys are initiating this. You can facilitate it. If somebody um, is interested based on what they're hearing by from your skill set and what you're delivering, I know how you guys operate. If they're not here, you'll send them to whatever local office where they need to be. All right.
1: Well, we do have our Instagram handles and Facebook handles up on the- uh, on, Yeah, on just the direct
2: message any of them, yeah. and we'll get you where you need to be, no Absolutely. doubt. If you have any questions, just don't hesitate to- uh, direct message and put that red dot on our phone. We'll get back to you. I promise.
0: All right. Guys, y'all have a good week. If
1: you got 1% of value from this podcast, do us a favor. Like, comment, share, subscribe. Tell your friend. Tell your co-worker. Until we meet again.
0: Lead one.